You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. It is our custom to stand once we open our Bibles, but for now, have a seat. We have a lot of groundwork to do before we get there. We will stand when we read just a couple verses in Acts chapter 24, but for now, I want to tell you about something that's been bothering me, and I I find it fitting that this is the first thing that we are going to talk about here in our new building. What a blessing this is. I, I hope you never overlook the fact that we are experiencing right now as a church what many churches do not get to experience. We are experiencing right now what a lot of churches do not get to experience. We are experiencing right now what a lot of churches do not get to We're so spoiled. We're so spoiled in America. This beautiful place, these soft seats. Maybe next Sunday I'll put those old wooden pews that have the splits in the middle where if you, if you move just right, it, it pinch you or pinch, as you say in Texas. People said amen a lot more in churches back then just because they were trying to hide the, no, amen. <laughs> but along with the encouragement and everything, uh, by the way, I hear there's a, there's a bet going on of how long it's going to take before I jump off this the first time. I'm, I'm not afraid of jumping off, I'm afraid of landing, and then I'm afraid of how to get back up, but I have been, I have been, I don't know if discouraged is the right word, I have been heartbroken by something that I have heard more, I think, in the past three or four months, especially from young couples. I've heard this more from young couples in the last three or four months than I had ever heard it before, and this is what they're saying. They're visiting from another church, a church in the area. I'm not going to, this is not about calling out other churches. I don't even know many of the churches that they go to. Sometimes they don't even tell me what churches they are. And that's fine. I don't need to know. But they'll say this, we've been going to a church in the area and we're not being fed. I have heard that so much recently. We're not being spiritually fed. Uh, Somebody said recently, uh, we're not fulfilled there. The couple might be here today. I don't know. My eyes are so bad. But they, they they said that recently. We're looking for a church because we are not being spiritually fed. Now, as a pastor and as a preacher, that makes no sense to me. That's like going up to, that's like going up to somebody who owns a restaurant and saying, we've been trying all these other restaurants in the area and they're not feeding any food there. For somebody who who owns a restaurant and who cares about his business, he's gonna say, "What, what do you mean they're not giving you any food? Isn't that the purpose of a restaurant? To feed food? Or maybe they say they just kind of, I go to a restaurant and I order the chicken parmesan. And what I find out is that the chef just goes to the grocery store and buys a TV meal, a TV dinner, chicken parmesan, puts it in chef microwave, and then hands it to me. Wait, that's not what I go to a restaurant for. 
I have a TV dinner when I want to stay home in my Snuggie and don't want to see people. If I'm going to go out to a restaurant, it's because I want to be fed something that I cannot feed myself. It makes no sense to me as a preacher and as a pastor who cares about what he does and who cares about his profession and his calling. When people over and over, especially young people, they're our future, you know. They're our future, you know. 23, 24, 25, who are just starting a family saying we're going to churches and we're not being fed. That bothers me. And contrary to whatever you might think, I do not want to be the only church in Corpus Christi that's spiritually feeding people. I don't think we are the only church in Corpus Christi that's spiritually feeding people. We need more and more churches, and we need more and more pastors who will understand if people are going to spend time away from their families and away from the homes on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights, for goodness sake, they need to be spiritually fed. They need to be different when they leave than when they came. Otherwise, what are you all doing here? Don't you have anything better to do? Brother Eduardo, you're a busy guy. Don't you have something better to do? But the reason you're here is hopefully, well, hopefully there isn't something better for you to do because you know and you believe you're going to be spiritually fed. So then, then I started asking myself, what does it mean to be spiritually fed? And it, it led me down this kind of spiral of questions that really led to this question in my mind. If we're going to, if we're going to ask, what does it mean to be spiritually fed in church? Because you can be spiritually fed elsewhere. You can open your Bible anywhere and you can feed yourself spiritually. You can pray anywhere and you can feed yourself spiritually. But God did put a special emphasis on church and on preaching. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, he said, It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Foolishness means it doesn't make sense to people. Something foolish doesn't make sense to people. But it pleased God. What the Bible says is nothing on this earth at this time brings more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ than what I'm doing right now. Hopefully what I'm doing right now. Because I would submit to you that every, not every person who names himself a preacher is a preacher. And not everything that claims to be preaching is preaching. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. So my argument is, if you're not preaching the word, you're not preaching. But if the question is, how are we, or what is, what does it mean to be spiritually fed in church? The question really is, what is preaching? What is true Bible preaching? And what I want to do, and, and there's a lot of different answers to that question, Brother Danny. You could easily say preaching is the imparting of God's word for the purpose of a decision. And you would be right. There's a lot of different... If, if I made a survey and said, write down what is preaching, a lot of you would give right answers, though they were different. All I want to do is I want to look at one story in Acts chapter 24, and I want to submit to you one possible answer. If you agree with the answer from Scripture, if you agree that the answer I submit to you is a correct answer for the question, what is preaching? Or what does it mean to be spiritually fed in church? Then I will go further and say, there are decisions you need to make. There are decisions you need to make today if the answer I give to you is a correct answer. Deal? If it's an incorrect answer, that's your choice. You can, you can leave and say, I do not agree with that opinion. And that's perfectly fine. And you're gonna see in the text that the person who heard preaching disagreed with it, and they walked away, and they did not change. Well, they did change. They got further away from the Lord. See, see, we're about to answer what preaching is, but let me tell you what preaching always does. 
Preaching always gives you a choice to draw nearer to God or further from him. If you could ever walk into a church and leave the same way you came, preaching did not occur. If you come and you leave closer, it's because preaching occurred. Because what preaching does is it presents a choice for you to come closer. If you ever go to church and you leave further, it's because preaching occurred. Because you can never say no to the Lord without going further from him. Wherever preaching occurs, it will present a choice. And you will either leave closer or further. That's what preaching does. But we're trying to answer what, what is preaching. And I'm going to use this story. Before I get to the story, however, and before we stand and read, let me give you a little bit of background. Saul of Tarsus is converted and becomes Paul. He takes, he takes a different name. He switches from a Jewish name to a Greek name. Jewish name Saul goes to the Greek name Paul. And he starts preaching and he starts doing missionary journeys. And eventually he ends up back in Jerusalem, much to the chagrin of many people around him. They did not want him to go to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a hotbed of persecution. That's where the headquarters of the Jewish religion was. And the Jewish religion and the Christian religion were not seeing eye to eye. The Jews crucified Christ. But Paul and Peter and James and John, the apostles, are preaching that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And the Jews are trying to say, if that's true, we killed him. That doesn't make us look very good. So we need to convince people, no, he didn't rise. He was the body was stolen. And there's this huge fight going on. And yet Paul feels led of the Holy Spirit after his missionary journeys to go back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem and he enters into the temple. And some Jews find out that he's there and they start causing an uproar. They start blaming and they start accusing Paul that he defiled the temple by bringing a Gentile into the temple. And pretty soon the entire city, the Bible says the entire city is in an uproar. And they drag Paul out of the temple and start beating him. It's a riot. It's a full-on riot with thousands of people with the, the lucky ones around Paul kicking, pulling, punching, spitting, biting. The Roman government is the law enforcement right now, so they step in. When the Romans come in, they start saying, uh, the, the Jews start saying, okay, back off, back off, back off. We don't want to cause trouble for the Romans. And the Romans ask, what is this? What did he do? What's going on? And some people over here are saying, well, he did this. And other people are saying, well, he did this. And there's complete confusion. The Roman captain assumed that Paul was this Egyptian guy who had caused a riot earlier. So he's like, just arrest the guy. I'm pretty sure I know who he is. Just arrest him. So he arrests him and he starts dragging this bruised, bloody, bleeding Paul into the castle, into the Roman garrison castle. And Paul says, before I go, can I address the people? And he said, how are you going to address the people? You don't even speak their language. Aren't you that Egyptian guy? He says, no, no, that, that is not me. And so he gives Paul an opportunity to turn around on the steps leading up to the castle. He gets everybody's attention that was just beating him, and he starts speaking in the Hebrew tongue. And he tells them, 
Guys, I was a Jew too. In fact, I was a Pharisee. And I studied under the, in the school of Gamaliel, who was the top Jewish teacher in Jerusalem. I know what you believe, and I don't believe anything different than you do. Don't we believe that a Messiah is going to come? Don't we believe that he is going to conquer the world? Don't we believe that he is going to be the perfect example for us? But I believe it's Jesus because one day I was on the road to Damascus and he appeared. He appeared and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I believed, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he, he rose again and the Jews are following him. And they're giving him ears until Paul makes one little statement. Paul makes a statement in Jerusalem in front of a bunch of Jews. Jesus called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. As soon as he said Gentiles, they freak out and they say, away with this man. It's not fit for men like him to live on this earth. The Romans are done. Here's all the Romans care about. The Romans controlled everything. But they were so powerful that they let the Jews keep their little puppet government. They thought it was cute. All the Romans said is, would you keep the peace? That's all I want you to do. Well, the peace is not being kept, and so the Romans are getting really angry. So they bring Paul into the prison, and they say, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna beat you. We're going to scourge you. Because we do not believe that you are who you say you are, so we're going to torture you until you tell us the truth. Paul, not wanting to be tortured that day, said, before you do that, just so you know, I'm a Roman citizen. And they back off, because you cannot touch a Roman citizen. He said, I am a freeborn Roman citizen. The captain's name is Lysias, and he's, I don't want to touch this. This is way over my pay grade. A Roman has already been beaten. He's bloody. I took him into custody against his will, and I threatened him with torture until he told the truth. Let's clean this mess up. So he says, I'm going to send you to Caesarea, and there's a governor there named Felix, and Felix is going to handle your problem. Paul goes to Caesarea, and he earns... A, uh, he earns an audience with Felix. Uh, Lysias isn't there. He has to stay back in Jerusalem and deal with all that mess. But Felix is there. A bunch of Jews are there. Pharisees and Sadducees are there. The Jews hire this lawyer. I forgot his name, but uh, like this very eloquent lawyer. He, loses, he uses all these big words and things like that to try to pump up Felix. But then it becomes Paul's turn to testify. And Paul's testimony intrigues Felix. Felix says this, I think I know what's going on, but I want to hear firsthand from Lysias what happened in Jerusalem. So before I make any decision, we need to wait for him to come. He gives Paul over into the custody of somebody else under his employee, and he says, let him have freedom, let people come and visit, and let him go. Just make sure that you, you watch over him. He's kind of out of, under house arrest right now, or parole, basically. But because Paul's testimony intrigued Felix so much, Felix grabs his wife. His wife's name is Drusilla, and Drusilla is a Jew. And he says, I want Paul, me, and my wife to have a secret meeting. And I want to learn more 
about what is going on. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So we can stand now, Acts chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 24. We'll read these two, we'll pray, and then we'll be seated. The question is, what do Felix and Drusilla want to meet with Paul about? Do they want to talk to him about finances? Do they want to talk to him about the latest games that are going on? What we're going to find out is that Felix and Drusilla want Paul to teach them more, quote, about faith in Christ. More about the faith of Christ. Let's read it. Verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. What they are saying, in one way or another, is, hey, Paul, will you preach to us? That's like saying, sick him to a bulldog, right? Paul, will you preach to us? All right, we're not going to read verse 25 yet. The question is, what is Paul going to preach? What is Paul going to preach to Felix and Drusilla? Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word, and let it come forth clearly and boldly, Let it change lives for the better. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What will Paul preach to Felix and Drusilla? There's a lot to preach. I'm going to talk to you about relationships. No. I'm going to talk to you about how to handle your finances in the 18th century or whatever it was. 16th century, 15th. It was a long time before that. I'm not a good historian. Don't worry about it. What is he going to preach? And the first thing that you see in verse 25, he has a a three-point message. And point number one, do you see what it is? What's point number one? What is it? you got to speak louder. It's a big room. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is perfection in God's eyes. Do you know what religion is? Religion is man's way of pleasing God. And man's way of pleasing God is really this. Have your good outweigh your bad. Righteousness is God's way of pleasing him. And here's what that is. All good, no bad. That's a lot different. People always say, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. Going to heaven isn't about being good enough. It's not about being good at all. It's about being perfect. And Paul's first point in his message is there is, you're you're wanting to know about faith in Christ. Before we can ever get to faith in Christ, we need to talk about the fact that there is a standard There is a standard of perfection in God's eyes that must be met if you're going to have a relationship with him. And then certainly he's going to go on and say, only one man has ever reached that. Only one man has ever reached that, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is perfect. Only Jesus, it says, he knew no sin. Only Jesus, it said, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. But as far as man is concerned, born of woman, 
As far as man saved Jesus Christ, as far as man is concerned, we have all fallen short of that standard of righteousness that is required in order for you to have a relationship with, with, with God. That's his first point. What's point number two? He reasoned with them of righteousness and of temperance. Why temperance? Why didn't he reason with them of righteousness and humility? Why didn't he reason with them about righteousness and grace? Why didn't he reach, reason with them about righteousness and mercy? Why temperance? Temperance is self-control. Temperance is telling your flesh no when your flesh wants something wrong. You can say this, temperance is killing lust. Now, lust isn't only sexual. Lust isn't only sensual. Lust is any desire that is improper. And that can be toward anything. You can lust after anything. You can lust after material things. You can lust after people. You can lust after money. You can lust after a lot of different things. Temperance is killing lust because your flesh is like that spoiled little brat in H-E-B+. That says, I want a snicker bar. And when the mom and dad say no, they throw an absolute fit. Mom and dad, you, you got to kill that. No, not literally. You have, to, you have to kill that fit. And our body, our flesh is like that. We, our flesh sees something, thinks of something, hears of something, and we say, we want that. There's nothing wrong with desires. But if the desire is incorrect, if the desire is improper, if it is not going to bring glory to God, that is lust. And temperance is telling your flesh, no, you're not going to have that. Even though I could give it to you, I'm not going to give it to you. That is temperance. Why preach on that? Out of all the other things. Well, you have got to know Felix and Drusilla's story. Let's talk about Felix first. Felix was a slave but he was freed by the Roman emperor. I almost jumped down. I'm going to... I at least want to get one service pass without jumping down. He was a slave, freed by the Roman emperor. When the emperor freed him, that knit Felix's heart to the emperor. He was extremely loyal to the emperor. He said, I will serve you for the rest of my life, as a, as a freed slave. And the emperor found out very quickly, this man will do whatever I tell him to do, no matter how unethical, no matter how immoral. And so because he did that, he was kind of like the emperor's bulldog. He rose in the ranks very quickly, and he became the governor of Caesarea. But once Felix saw that he was in the emperor's good graces, that empowered him, that gave him the idea, I have the license to do whatever I want. So he would accept bribes. He would be horribly unjust. If he didn't like somebody, he'd just find a way to wipe them out. If he wanted something, he'd just take it. A historian said of Felix, he exercised all imperial functions with the soul of a mercenary. 
it got so bad at one point, he got so out of control as governor of Caesarea that the emperor himself said, I, I regret putting him in this position. The emperor himself almost relieved Felix of his position and charged him as a criminal. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you until I tell you that emperor was Nero. Felix was almost too much for Nero. As a problem, let's talk about Drusilla. Drusilla was a Jew. She was the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great, the one who ordered the deaths of all the newborn babies, two years, two years old, two-year-old males and under when Jesus was born. That was her great-granddad. She was born into a royal but dysfunctional and immoral family. Her brother and her sister were in, her, her brother and her sister were involved in a relationship. Her dad, I believe Herod Agrippa, her dad forced her into a marriage at 14 with a man for political purposes. She was not happy in that relationship, so she employed a sorcerer to seduce Felix, who was about 20 years her senior. Felix had already been married twice before. He was currently married to his second wife. But when this 16-year-old girl starts seducing him, he leaves his wife, and he convinces Drusilla to leave her husband, and they get married. That, that is the couple that told Paul, preach to us. That is the couple, this immoral, selfish, adulterous couple that Paul says, you want me to talk to you about Christ. First of all, there's a standard that needs to be met. And nobody's met that standard. Nobody's met that standard other than Jesus Christ. But let me talk to you about temperance. Let me talk to you about the fact, see, are you following Paul didn't just skirt by the fact that nobody has met that standard. He didn't just speak about sin generally. Can I do this? He didn't just speak about sin generally. He didn't just say, well, we've all failed. We've, we've, we all have shortcomings. He didn't say that. He diagnosed the main sin that Felix and Drusilla were committing, and he confronted them about it. I understand that adultery was one of their sins, but what caused them to live in adultery? No self-control. I understand that he accepted bribes, and bribery is a sin, but what is the root of that? No self-control. I understand that he lied and extorted in order to get into, and, and those are sins, but what, that's the fruit of the tree. And you can pluck the fruit all you want, but unless you get to the root of the problem, more fruit's just going to come. And Paul diagnosed the root of the problem... And he reasoned with a man who lived a life of deceit about the standard of honesty that is required in order to have a relationship with God. He reasoned with them about the standard of purity and then said, from what I hear, your too lack of self-control has led you not to a life of purity, but to a life of immorality. You're living in adultery at this moment. He reasoned, he reasoned of chastity 
with somebody who's living in adultery because of their, and, and he called it out, you all have a lack of self-control. And I can go on and on. But he, he made it very real to them, did he not? He got down right on their level and said, this is the problem. This is the standard. You've fallen short. But let's not just say you've fallen short. Let's say why. Let's say why you've fallen short. Now, I do not picture Paul standing up and, and just, you know, you're horrible, you're this, you're that. Remember, Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. In Paul's mind, there was no greater sinner than he himself. But it did not stop him from saying, guys, this is the problem. This is your problem. But he doesn't stop there. What's the next one? His third point. Judgment to come. Imminent and inescapable punishment upon those who have not met God's standard. Now, do you think he stopped there or do you think he said, hey, there is a way to escape it? There is a way to escape judgment to come. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, they asked about faith in Christ, right? They asked about faith in Christ. He had to address some things before I get to faith in Christ. But now that I've addressed those things, if you put your faith in Christ, you will be saved from the judgment to come. You have a choice, Felix, and you have a choice, Drusilla, you can keep your sin or you can have the Savior. But what he's saying in point number three is that choice will not always be yours. Time is running out. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And you don't know when you're going to die, ma'am. You don't know when you're going to die, sir. Tomorrow is not promised. The next hour isn't promised. We all know people who we talk to one day and the next day they're gone. We are not promised that. So then what is preaching? Now, if you were to ask Felix and Drusilla at that point, and if I were even to ask some of you, you might say, preaching's rude. Preaching's rude. Preaching is one sinner accusing another sinner. Preaching is one man who's failed in many ways on his own, judging another person for how they have failed. What right does Paul have to reason of a standard that he failed to meet, as well as Felix and Drusilla? What right does Paul have to reason with them of temperance? This is your problem. When somebody very well could have looked back at Paul and said, well, this is your problem. Right? When, whenever you're pointing at somebody, you've got one, two, three fingers pointing back at you, right? So point this way. <laughs> whenever you point at somebody, point this way. You are sinners. You are sinners. So then what is preaching? People would say preaching is rude. People would say that preaching is, where, where am I in my? Oh yeah, I've done all of that. This is great. This is going fantastic. People would say that preaching is somebody prying into somebody else's business. That was Felix and Drusilla's life and their choice. What, what right does Paul have to pry into that? So I heard you all are living in adultery. Now I'm not saying that he did that, but do you think he didn't just skirt by it? You can't talk about temperance with a couple who's living in adultery without kind of talking about the elephant in the room. Now, now let's talk about self-control. Now, I'm not talking about you two. You two are doing great. He obviously confronted it. Now, remember, if you want to call preaching rude and if you want to call preaching, preaching as one sinner judging another... 
I never want to come across rude. I know sometimes I do. I know sometimes I call out sin, and I'm a sinner too. I know sometimes there are times where people come up after a message and they say, have you been following me this last week? And no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I don't have the time. I can barely follow myself. And I'm not, are you judging me? I understand that if I judge somebody else, I'm opening myself up to judgment. I understand that. But the Bible does say judge righteous judgment. Tell people what is true and tell people what is right. If you want to call it all those things, you can. But remember what preaching is meant to do. What is preaching meant to do? Preaching is meant to present you with a choice, Brother John. Preaching is meant to present you with a choice to either draw nigh to God or reject him. And church, how can you present that choice without first saying there's a standard that has to be met if you're going to draw near? Not everyone can just draw near. Are we following? Men, I need your help. Are we following? There we go. How can, remember in Leviticus chapter 10 when Nadab and Abihu tried to draw near, but they were wrong with God? God struck them dead. Yes, there is an invitation to draw near, but wait a second. Before you draw near, you need to know there's a standard that has to be met. So how can preaching occur without speaking of that standard? And then how can preaching occur without telling people, you've fallen short of that standard, and so have I. We've all fallen short of that standard, and generalities don't help. They don't help me. Generalities don't help me. Get specific. We have some doctors in here. If you knew that you were sick, you didn't know what was going on, but you knew that you were sick, your body's not responding, and you even feel in your mind that you are dying, and you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, what is going wrong? Do you want him to look back and say, well, we all can feel healthier? Well, no, duh, doc. Well, we all can live a little better. Just go home and do your best to live better. You know how hospitals are called general hospital? I don't want general hospital. I want specific hospital. We should start calling them specific hospital. I want a doctor who will look at me and say, I've examined everything, and this is what's killing you. And if you don't change it, it will keep killing you. I, would we put up with a general doctor? We want a specific doctor, don't we? But we don't want a specific preacher. And that's why it's so quiet right now. Oh, preach on sin, but not mine. Oh, preach on sin, but not the sin that my kids are involved in. Tell you what, after service, this is my office right here. I welcome you to knock on my door and give me a list of all the sins that you would not like me to preach on. If a preacher, if a choice is going to be presented in order for us to draw near, we have, a preacher must talk about the standard. A preacher must say we've fallen short and a preacher better be specific. This is what is keeping you from that. And if you deal with it, okay, the next, the next, a preacher must talk about the deadline. There is a deadline coming. There is judgment coming in order for you to make this change. In order for you to repent, you will not always have the opportunity to repent. 
I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you that you're going to die tonight, but you might. I can't tell you that you will never hear another gospel message. I can't tell you that you will never have another opportunity to repent, but you might not. So how dare a preacher not say, you might not always have this choice. And then beyond that, to tell you, since you do have the choice, make the choice today. Make the choice today. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Isn't tomorrow just another day that you're going to spend in sin? Isn't tomorrow being just another day that you have to repent of? Isn't tomorrow just another day of, of shaking your fist at God and saying, I'm going to win this bet, not you? Because remember what, remember what they asked. Teach us about the faith in Christ. Here's, here's my question. What point is there to have faith in Christ unless we understand we've fallen short of the standard? If we haven't understood that we've fallen short of the standard, why do we need Christ? Right? Right? Right. Okay, and if we've fallen short of the standard, how did I? And if there's not a deadline to get it right, why do I need Christ now? When I can get Christ later. On my deathbed, I will live however I want to live, and then later I will come. So what is preaching? That's what we're trying to answer. What is preaching, and what is being spiritually fed? Here's what I read from this. First of all, I see preaching is not man's opinion. It is not man's opinion. Preach the word. I also see this. Preaching is not forcing the listeners to obey. That's a cult. Free preaching is not, if you do not do this, we're kicking you out of the church or whatever. Preaching is just simply a choice. Okay? Preaching presents a choice. And if you read, Felix and Drusilla made the wrong choice. But it was their choice. When he reasoned with Felix and Drusilla about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, the Bible says that Felix trembled. He trembled because he knew it was right, but he said, Paul, I'll call for you at a more convenient season. Do you realize how inconvenient it would have been for Felix to trust in Christ? He would have lost his job. He would have had to look at his wife, who is a Jew, whose people are rejecting Christ and saying, I accept him. Oh, and he would need to split that because they're living in adultery. So he'd need to get that right. Paul, do you real? I know it's right, but do you realize how inconvenient that is right now? So he says this later, later. And by the way, later never came. Later never came. But guess what? It wasn't Paul's job to make him choose right. It was just Paul's job to present a choice. So here's what I submit to you if you followed along with this. I would argue preaching is the conversation that Jesus would have with you if he could speak to you. If Jesus walked into the back of this room today and he identified himself and we knew he wasn't a charlatan, we knew it was Jesus Christ the Lord, would you get in line to speak to him?
Would you hang on every word that he said? Would you give anything to have even just five minutes to talk to him and let him talk to you? Yes, yes, yes. Let me ask you this. If you got to sit across from Jesus and Jesus knew that there was a standard that needed to be met in order to have a relationship with the Lord, would Jesus not bring that up? Would he not tell you? And if Jesus knew specifically what was causing you not to meet that standard, would he skirt by it? Would he speak about it generally? And if Jesus, remember, Jesus is God. He knows when you're going to die. If Jesus knew there is going to come a time where you're not going to have this choice anymore, would he not warn you? Would he not plead with you to make that decision? What do you think you're going to talk to Jesus about for five minutes? The weather? Or do you think he's going to say, I want you to trust in me, okay? I want you to trust in me. But before I can ever get you to see your need to trust in me, I've got to tell you there's a standard that you have failed to meet. Let's talk about why you failed to meet it. Let's talk about the fact that there is a Savior that can forgive you of that sin and forgive you of that failure. If you repent, and repent means to turn from your sin and to turn to me. But young lady, young man, you will not always have that choice. Would Jesus not have that conversation with you? Then how dare Paul preach anything different? To preach anything different would be a disservice. If you want to call it rude, you are the same person who would see what Jesus preached to the Pharisees and say, man, Jesus was incredibly rude. Jesus was very unchristlike. No, Jesus just knew until people understand there's a standard that has failed to be met and there is judgment that is coming upon that, they will never believe in me. Until they see there is a need for me, they will never come to me. And I'm appreciative that you're here and maybe you wanted to learn more about Christ and maybe you wanted to learn more about Jesus. Before you can ever learn about that, you better understand there's a standard that we have all failed. Some of you struggle with lying. Some of you struggle with drunkenness and drinking. Some of you struggle with laziness. You struggle with your mouth. You struggle with your, you struggle with your thoughts. You struggle with pornography. You struggle with adultery. You struggle with immorality. You struggle with messaging things. You struggle with addiction to things. And it's keeping you. It's keeping you from the Lord. Now, I am not teaching that if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps that you will reach that standard of righteousness. We cannot. There is none righteous, no, not one. But you can repent and turn to a Savior that the Bible says he, God, made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. If you turn to him, if you put your faith in him, you will be spared from that judgment and he will help you to change. But you don't have forever in order to do that. You don't have forever in order to do that. And I would say, 
If that does not happen, preaching has not occurred. If you agree that that is a good working definition of preaching, if you agree with that, and you may well not, and that's fine. Here's my last argument. When Jesus started preaching, what did he preach? What, would Je what was Jesus' main message when he started his ministry? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? The kingdom of heaven, standard. It's at hand, judgment. Repent. Repent. Because you have not met that standard. Bible preaching is the conversation Jesus would have with you if he could speak with you. If you agree, here are the decisions that I think you need to make. First of all, find a church where preaching occurs. Because again, not everything that claims to be preaching is preaching. And not every, every person who claims to be a preacher is a preacher. And I'd be very careful about calling myself a preacher unless I had the boldness to tell you there's a standard, there's a failure, there's a judgment to come, and there's a Savior who will help you reconcil be reconciled to the Lord. That is what a preacher does. Find a church where preaching occurs. And Heritage Baptist Church, the moment I stop preaching, don't you leave, you get me out. And you bring a man in here who loves you enough to have the conversation that Jesus would have with you. Number two. First of all, find a church where preaching occurs. Number two, listen. Listen to it. Number three, consider your choices. Because preaching does, preaching always does, present a choice. What's your choice today? Keep your sin or have the Savior. Keep your sin or have the Savior. And you don't have a lot of time to make that decision. It's your decision. We're not going to force you. It is your decision. Consider your choices. Number four, choose right. Choose right. Last one, stay. Stay in that place. It's not going to be perfect, and the preacher certainly isn't going to be. But stay where you're being spiritually fed. Stay in the place that is going to challenge you to make a decision every single time. Find it, listen, consider your choices, make the right choice, and stay. That's what preaching is. And I preach that because I want our prayer, along with whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, I want our prayer as Heritage Baptist Church to be, Oh God, until you come back, let preaching happen at Heritage Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.